Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You uh, want to talk about uh, Breakout? Uh, yeah, I do. Cue music. Mm. Hey listeners, before we get into today's show, I have the honor of telling you about a really cool game that is on Kickstarter this very minute, if you go check it out. It is called Cut to the Chase, and it is a two-player game about one person chasing and one person running, or one creature chasing and one creature running, or one... it could be all sorts of things, right? You know we love two-player games both on this show and on my other show, She's a Super Geek. This one looks super duper cool. It's got a whole diverse lineup of people ready to write more scenarios for it if you don't want to create your own stuff. It's already been playtested a bunch and published as part of an anthology, so this is the opportunity to make this into a full-fledged game on its own, and it seems really cool. Spoilers! You can go check out the original version of the game with a link from the Kickstarter, and we'll put a link to the Kickstarter, of course, in our notes. It's called Cut to the Chase if you want to go search for it, but you could go try out this game right now in its current form and then support it being published in an even more finished form with tons of art and more scenarios by some amazing people, including fellow gnome Kira McGran and uh, some other awesome folks that whose names I know you're going to recognize because I do too. Anyway, check it out. You've got until April 5th. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, on with the show! And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And we're con-dropping. Hard. Welcome to the con-drop show. We're going to talk about Breakout. Because it was awesome. Yeah, tonight we're going to talk about Breakout in general, and then uh, we're going to talk about the uh, three games that we brought to run at Breakout. So that would be Connections, Mm -hmm. Long Live the Queen, Mm -hmm. uh, and Turning Point. Yep. And those are three games kind of in various uh, states of development. Yeah. And I thought we'd take a few minutes... To talk about how each one went, our experiences of running them, and we know what we learned from uh, what we learned from playing them. Yep. So, um, hey, if you're not familiar with Breakout, we have talked about this last year, but uh, and you can refer to last year's episode on this. But just as a recap, Breakout Con is a uh, role-playing and board game convention in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, that's held in the month of March. It is organized by a really fab group of people. It's easily one of the most diverse, inclusive, and safe conventions, I think, that we go to throughout the year. Yep. And um, it's in a really neat place in Toronto. It's right across the street from the Toronto City Hall, which is like this really funky, cool building. And it's uh, right downtown Toronto, so there's... um, cool restaurants and um, kind of cool places to go and eat. Although I, I will say, I don't think I ventured very far other than for a poke bowl. Most of my other stuff was pretty centrally located to the hotel. The hotel itself is actually pretty swank as well. Like it's actually a pretty nice place to, um, 
uh, pretty nice place to stay. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a very nice hotel. Um, it has the paths underneath it, but they're not open on the weekend. But it's still cool that they're there and they're like attached. And there are lots of little cool places to eat around there and stuff. I think we did only get out to the Poke Bowl place this year. We found some cool ones last year, too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All in all, the convention is uh, it's great. It runs uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There are there's board game room, uh, there's Adventures League, there's regular like gen- there's like general role playing. There are panels. Yeah, there's some miniature painting going on, uh, but I think that's pretty much what comprises the bulk of the con, right? I, I also I would say it's fair to say it's got a pretty high indie content to it. Do you think that's yeah. fair? Yeah, I would say so, based on um, our crew, <laughs> like all the people that we show up to hang out with and how busy the non-Adventures League room tends to be. Yeah. Not that all of that is indie, but like, you know, is there's a good variety of other games. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a pretty high indie content. Like, I mean, last year I played One Child's Heart, and I know Camden ran that a few times. Uh, again, this year I played, uh, uh, you and I played Red Carnations on a Black Grave. Yeah. Um, so there is definitely, there's definitely some strong indie content going on at this, at this con. So if you are, um, if you are an indie gamer, if you are anywhere you can reach the Toronto area, I highly recommend this con. Like I really, I really think this con kind of stands above a lot of other cons and it really should be one that goes into your into your annual calendar yeah agree so cool so let's talk about our general impressions like what was your general impression of uh, of breakout um it was awesome uh <laughs> it was awesome there's a thing about breakout that 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 happens which is that there are um it's not quite as much as like Origins and Big Barn too, right? But like there's this hallway of like couch lounge area where people just tend to gather and hang out and maybe play games or whatever, like just off books on the side or just chill and talk between games and sessions and all of that kind of stuff. And like that is a big part of Breakout to me is just hanging out with those people and having that time. It's very cool. And I think that the layout actually works pretty well for that. I like the space. I like the people. I was happy. I was happy to find that the hotel tables provided for the games because I ran connections were pretty steady <laughs> and not wobbly. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a good little con. I I mean I I I pulled a red eye to get there because I had some uh, travel nonsense with the bomb cyclone. So I I was a little bit phased out for a lot of Friday, but it was still great. (laughs) Yeah, my impressions, I think, are pretty similar. I really like this con for a number of reasons. First of all, the gamers it attracts are pretty top-notch. I had um, a large number of people that I had never gamed with before at my tables, and everybody was excellent. All the players were really good. They were really committed to playing games, you know, like playing the games that were there and just really had like really good, really good sessions uh, with them. Games do a really good job of populating. They have a nice system where I think I think the way they work it is they have games going up every hour. Yeah. Like kicking off every hour. So what they have is they have a table in the gaming area. 
with sign-up sheets and they put out the ones for the upcoming i think the up uh, the hour that's just about to happen and the next hour that's going to follow that and they do a really good job of filling them up because at the end like right before the con i had checked all my events and my sunday hydro hackers game had only one player in it but by the time sunday rolled around yep. uh, i had a full table yep. yeah so and and that that was true that was true in other places jerry had a game that didn't have any players in it um almost an hour before game time and wound up running a full table yeah yeah so it's it's really good it's really good in that respect if i have one critique of it the role-playing room is a bit crowded and the rectangle tables are a bit hard for um they're not for running games they're not the bestest shape ever I mean, we may we may do, but like Turning Point was particularly tricky. Yeah. In that space. Yeah. There was a lot of us like huddling over the table to hear each other. Yeah. But I've I've heard from the con organizers uh, that is something that they are actively working on for next year with the idea of actually breaking up the role playing room into a bunch of smaller rooms. Oh yeah. So that it'll be a bit more manageable sound wise. That so. that would be really cool. Yeah, it would be pretty rad. Yeah. So yeah, overall, uh, excellent. I think that, you know, it's just, it's a super, it's a really, I, I will say again, it's a really diverse con. Like it is um, when you walk around and when you see the gamers who attend, I mean, there's just, there's, a, you know, there's great representation among women from LGBT, like all sorts of, um, there are all sorts of people from the LGBT community that are playing. Like it, it just, all in all, it's a very diverse group. The organizers go out of their way to make sure that the guests who are picked are very diverse. Uh, I think that, what is it? I think that Kate said that of all the guests, and there was a pretty large guest list, only 20 were cishet white males. Yeah. Right? The rest were more diverse. Yeah. Uh, so it's really good. And some top, top-notch guests. So, I mean, besides... Some of the semi, you know, regional guests, so myself, uh, Camden Wright, Chris, and things like that. There were, you know, like Misha came and Chris Spivey was there. Mm-hmm. It was awesome to meet him. Who else did you see? I got to meet Agatha from the oh. Asians Represent podcast. She is phenomenal. I got to meet Mandy from the Dice Tower podcast. She is mm-hmm. also phenomenal. Trying to think who else. I did also get to see um, Victoria from the Broadswords I got to meet for the first time. She is a little bit more local. Like, it sounds like that was just a train ride. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all in all, the the convention did an exceptional job of having guests who represented a, a number of backgrounds and things like that. So, really top notch. Yeah. Massively agree. Cool. So we brought three games that we are designing or co-designing. So Connections is a game that you and I are designing. Mm-hmm. Turning Point is a game that you and I have designed because yeah, Turning Point is basically done. Yep, pretty much. Um, and Long Live the Queen is a game that you and I are designing along with another friend of ours, uh, Glenn Seiler, yep. who's kind of our fate wonk. Yeah. <laughs> like the way the work on that one is, is that Glenn is kind of really the, the fate um, nuts and bolts expert. Yep. You have been really helpful in working on the setting in, in terms of inclusivity with women 
because the game is about women characters. And I'm the like the weirdo who came up with the idea. Yeah. And like it, that's my job. It mushes together into some sort of state of, of gooey goodness. Yeah. So Yeah, more brains. Yeah, so in terms of in terms of those three games, kind of where they are on the spectrum is Turning Point is done. Turning Point, is, we are currently writing the manuscript for. Mm-hmm. The game that I ran, and we'll talk about it in a second, uh, included the only rule change that we are making since Metatopia. It was yeah. actually the it was actually from Metatopia that we decided to make that rule change. All, any other changes that we had made from Metatopia were basically structural, yeah, or language changes. Yep. Yeah, we we did a couple. I mean, it's all down to little tiny tweaky stuff, right? This was the only thing that we changed that was sort of big, and it still wasn't really that big. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, Long Long Live the Queen, I I think, is somewhere in the middle. There are no rules written for it, per se. Like, there's a Word document that I, I kind of work out of. But it was, it's been very much in a state of flux the last couple months. But I feel like the version of the game I ran. Uh, at breakout is pretty close to what I think the final rules for the game will be. Yeah. Uh, and now it just needs like a bunch more playing yeah. to make sure that that's, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And connections though, connections is um, connections is pretty new. We alpha tested it at uh, Metatopia and it really hasn't had much play since Metatopia. Yeah. I, I don't think it's really had any play since Metatopia, except that we, we did send, so it was, uh, it, the first version of it was written to be included in uh, the Love and Resistance anthology. And so we did like have a version that we considered final enough to send off to that, which is the one that I was working off of for Breakout, right? Except that we we tweaked a couple of things at the last minute. <laughs> and I made some discoveries about those things, which we will talk about. Yeah. So um, which one do you want to do first? Why don't you start with, why don't you do Long Live the Queen first? And then we'll do Long Live the Queen and then I'll talk Connections and then we can talk Turning Point. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. So uh, Long Live the Queen, I actually ran off books. I wasn't terribly comfortable running it publicly. Yeah. So uh, I just arranged a game with Misdirected Mark listeners. So uh, that game was actually you. Deanna Tusano. Yep. So um she's Mo Tusano's wife. Marvelous. From the tabletop. Yep, from the tabletop bellhop. Yep. The Wear Gator. Yep. Also marvelous. Uh-huh. And uh Bob jumped in. Yep. Because he's also marvelous. Yeah, which is funny because Bob actually plays in the other playtest group. So, like, you know, Bob's had a you know, Bob plays this game quite a bit. Yes. So we played the game with what I think is the like what I like as the final rule set of the game. Like my over design and cut back <laughs> style. This is the cut back version. So the over design part is done. We kind of sliced back a bunch of stuff. Glenn kind of took my technology dependency stuff and streamlined that into something a little better. Chris took something I was really struggling with in terms of complications for missions and helped me kind of streamline that. And all my approaches are different. Like those were all things we changed, the wording on the approaches. And the last thing I kind of worked up, which was more of just a GMing style thing, was kind of um, how to use create advantage to create clues on the fly. Yeah. For the game. So those are basically like all the fate accelerated changes that were in that set. And 
And we played a very simple mission. A uh, valet had gone missing and the carnations, as the heroes are called, had to go figure out where he was and rescue and rescue him. I thought it actually played that it actually played pretty well. Yeah, I thought so, too. I mean, I was really interested because there's a section that I wasn't directly experiencing mechanics wise that I think that you might have been doing. Was it for the first time where you were handling tokens based on like based on essentially like mission suspiciousness, mm-hmm. like when we did actions? So as from a player perspective, it felt like everything worked very smoothly in terms of you being able to take moves and, and like cash in those chips. And I, I, I really enjoyed using the create advantage to create clues basically for ourselves. Like that was very cool. And to get ourselves into good position in the right places and stuff. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, it, it, it feels significantly smoother and more well-tuned and like it clicks along as a fate game and in terms of hitting the genre that you're going for with a little bit of just like, you know, Three Musketeers style swashbuckly goodness with the sneaky part too. Like, I feel like the mechanics aren't standing in the way of that. They're they're supporting you now in a way that I'm not sure that they were right at the very beginning, even though they seemed like they should be. It feels like it now, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that if, you know, for people who play Fate, the creating clues via create advantage isn't actually something new, but it was right. something that I kind of just incorporated into the game. You made it official. Um, it was good. Yeah, just a little more, with a little more structure around it. And the other part that you talked about is like uh, when you are on a mission and you are taking actions that stress the mission. There's uh, tokens that the GM gets, and then the GM can um, basically buy interesting complications to make the mission tougher. Yeah. Um, and sweat the players a bit more. And so those, um, I thought those actually worked pretty well. I'm still getting the hang of when to draw tokens, but I think that's coming along. And um, and I think it's a fun way to kind of make a... Um, to make like twists and turns for the players to deal with. So all in all, Long Live the Queen did fine. I will definitely be planning on running it. I will probably run it off books at Origins, but I will probably put it into QCC. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. So uh, next up, uh, tell me about Connections. Yeah. So um, so I ended up running two games of Connections. I ran the first one on Saturday, and it was uh, Jen Adcock and the Weregator. So Connections is a game specifically about two beings who are from very different backgrounds or very different cultures, building a relationship together, learning about each other, and creating a relationship. Um, and the mechanic that we use to demonstrate this is that you stack your polyhedral dice on top of each other. And the basic premise is that with each die that you add to your dice construction, there's a story prompt that goes with that, right? So the the first game that I ran for Jen and Eric, actually totally by accident, because I didn't grab the sheets, I grabbed the Google Doc that is what we sent in, <laughs> totally by accident discovered that one of the changes that we had made 
to the document that we sent in for Love and Resistance actually was adding a lot of latency to the game because it was making people have to think really, really hard about their move and if they were doing it right and if they had chosen the right thing and a number of other things, which it was a cool idea. And then it just in practice, it didn't seem like it would be that big of a deal. But then in practice, like it really slowed some parts of the game to a crawl. So that was what I walked away with from that. And then um, and and we had a conversation about that. And basically, you know, we're just going to take that part back out again. Then I ran it uh, the second time, also on Saturday, I think. Um, Or was that Sunday? Yeah, it's a blur. Then I ran it for uh, Miriam and for Schmitty. And they are the first people who I've ever seen play it that the tower did not fall down at all, which was great. They're my edge case now. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so we're now in discussion about doing some adjustments to basically change how we're calculating the depth and uh, length of the relationship at the end of the game. Previously, we were calculating based on width and height, but it basically encourages you to build a really long string of dice with one really tall thing of dice in the middle and does not reward you for building multiple towers of dice of any height. So we're, we're, we're retooling that a little bit uh, based on that. So I feel like we actually walked away from Breakout with some really good playtest experiences for connections in terms of understanding what we want the game to do and seeing how we can get closer to making it do that. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think that idea that we're having, I mean, we still got to play test it out yeah, to yeah, see yeah. how it bears out. <laughs> yes. But um, but I actually think it solves... So the design thing that we were solving was you're building a dice stacking game and what you don't want is just everybody just try to build one tower. Right. Um, one, one tower is hard to build. Yes. And uh, two, it's not very interesting if all you're doing is just, you know, you're both trying to stack dice on top of each other. Like we wanted there to be a little more depth to where you placed your dice and what you did. And so the initial fix for that was, oh, we'll build outward right. um, with the idea that the intensity of your relationship was the height of the tower and the width of the dice that you placed was the length. But as it turns out, placing dice outward is kind of easy. Yes, very um, easy. You can just, you know, run a string of them out and run a string up and you can, you know, win the game. Like you'll be best friends forever and ever. Yeah, as long um, as they don't fall over. But that's correct. Which is what happened. They didn't fall over. <laughs> right. So the, so the, the, the prevailing thought now is that the the tallest tower will represent the depth of your intensity and that by encouraging you to build other towers the number of other peaks and i think that we define that as anything higher than 3 right 3 or higher would determine they would basically be the number of connections you made to a person right that would determine the length of the relationship and i think in doing that It'll be good because it still encourages horizontal growth. Yes. Because you are going to have to build these peaks outward. But at the same time, it creates a bit more of a challenge because you actually do have to not only build them out, but you have to build them up. Yeah. It rewards you for, um, especially early on in the game, when you are only allowed to use some of the harder dice, it rewards you for building those towers, even if that isn't the tower that's stable enough to get you to a really strong relationship place. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, it does encourage you to like build a couple small towers. Then you can start working on your bigger tower, which is yeah. actually even more indicative of how relationships work. Right. So I really like right. it. Yeah, we gotta we gotta play test it, but like it, it at first blush, I'm a big fan. At first blush, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll get to work on that. I, and by that, I mean you'll get to work on that because <laughs> <Yeah. I, laughs> I'm still buried in other stuff. Yep. Cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, sounds like you had some fun. Yeah, we totally did. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Jen was a Betazoid and Eric was a Klingon AI <laughs> in a battle suit. And they were researchers who were off on a journey. It was just the two of them on the spaceship. So that was very interesting. Their tower fell multiple times during play. So they were pretty lucky to leave on reasonable terms at all. <laughs> like, it was pretty intense. And then uh, Schmidt and Miriam were the last humans from Earth who were the only ones who escaped in the, the evacuation. And this species of cat person alien that inhabited the first human inhabitable world that they discovered who were they had a really interesting culture of like family and other things that like could be really smothering but was also like really potentially welcoming it was very interesting and it was a very interesting line to walk it was very interesting to see them do it because both you know both sides of that negotiation were very invested in making it work because the humans wanted a place to live and, and they actually, because their tower didn't fall at all, they ended up with some really good results and they, they had a kitten together and Schmidt's character like left the ship and went off and lived in a pile of cat people. It was pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, fantastic. Tell me about Turning Point because this was the first time we had played it with our last little tweak. So turning point, I did a bunch of layout fixes yeah. on our dilemmas, but those were mostly just uh, structural changes. Those were things that from playtesting at Metatopia, we were asked like, well, it would be super convenient if you could put these things all on one sheet and that kind of thing. Yes. So I made a bunch of those changes. That was, and then that took me basically the week. I had to like, like to relay out all the dilemmas took me a little while. So the one change that we did make was so for people to remind people turning points the um, the dramatic collaborative decision making engine where you share a character who's making a life changing decision right they're going to choose A or B yes and uh, the way that's done is you play out five important scenes in the character's past and how those scenes play out kind of determine how the character is going to make their decision their life-changing decision. So the thing that we got as a recommendation from Metatopia and one that we took um, and ran with right away was to have an opening and closing scene that kind of set the tone for the dilemma so that you play out a scene with the character right up to the point where they're going to make the decision, then stop, Mm -hmm. then play out the five scenes, then come back, and once they decision has been determined so there's like this uh, points thing that has to kind of be tallied up really quick by the uh, what you know the first player the facilitator of the game once that is figured out then you go back into the scene and the first player plays the character and uh, reveals the decision yep which choice is going to be made and that's how all the players now learn of the decision yep, yep. so we did it 
and it was excellent. Like it added the one thing that was kind of missing from telling a complete story for the character. Yeah. So we in the in the one that we played at Breakout was the kink dilemma where you are deciding to stay in a relationship or not because you have a kink that your partner doesn't share. And the opening scene for that is the character is talking to their therapist. And the two players who played out that scene did a great job and they took it right up to the decision point uh, where the therapist was like, well, you know, I, I really think, you know, you have to make a decision, you know, whether to stay in this relationship or not. And the player was like, I know, I know, I need to make a decision. And what I'm thinking is, and just stopped. Yeah, that's really good. And so then we went and played the five scenes, we tallied it up, and then we came back and the player, you know, like we jumped back into the scene, they like backed up just a little and started and then, you know, they restarted the scene and then the player was like, I, you know, I, I know I have to make a decision and I'm, I'm going to leave the relationship. And that like, that's how the table actually heard yeah. um, the result. That's, that's super good. I'm really excited about that change. Yep. And it gave it some, it gave it not only a nice opening, but it gave it really nice closure as well because yeah. the, the other player who was playing the therapist kind of talked to them a little bit more and then we closed, like we just let the scene close out. Yeah. Super good. I'm looking forward to seeing how it works in the other uh, dilemmas as well. Yeah. Because each one of those we write in the little vignette right. that occurs. Yeah. So yes, it was definitely, it was definitely good. We are definitely done we're not making any more rules changes to the game. Yes. It's now just time to put the game out. Right. We just need to finish writing it. Yes. Um, the cool part is the layout changes that I made also make the game super easy to run. Like once you pick a dilemma and open it up, it leads you through step by step what you need to do in order to get the game started as well as to keep the game running. So yeah, you actually... Will like the Turning Point book will teach you how to play the game in depth. It will be full of advice. It'll be full of first player advice on facilitation and how to make your own dilemmas and stuff. But honestly, like once you know how to play the game, you'll be able to take the sheets and a dilemma and just go run the game. Yes. Yep. Which is kind of a perfect place to be. I mean, I'm really excited about your playtest results. I haven't gotten to playtest it with that beginning and end seen yet but i'm sure that i will soon because my home group is asking me when i'm gonna run it again <laughs> so that'll be a thing again and i'm excited to run it with those two it feels like it's a really good way to give it a beginning and then the scenes are the middle and the muddle and the maddle and then we have an end right yeah exactly like it now tells a story right which is good i think it tells a pretty concise story yeah Fantastic. Well, cool. And when we talk about wrapping up stories, it must be time to wrap up our episode. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so normally, this is where we would talk about a show also on the Misdirected Mark Network. Uh, so uh, tell me about the tell me about Misdirected Mark. Well, on the Misdirected Mark podcast, Chris, Phil, Bob, and Camden sit down and talk about cool design and GMing stuff. I don't remember how the rest of this blurb goes. I think that's good enough. I feel like that pretty much covers it in an, in, in an effort to entertain and inform you. Say, Senda, 
where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pandas Talk Games. We're still working on that Google Plus replacement. We'll let you know when we get it. Or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? Please, please, please uh, leave us your topics. We try to base the show on strictly the topics that you have asked for. We like to talk about the things that you want to hear. So please keep sending us in topics. Pretty adept at figuring out how to make a show from a question or a topic. So uh, just toss them out there. And if we can't make a whole show out of it, then they get put into the grab bag where a couple of them get pulled and we do a couple of them in a row for a single episode. Yep. Uh, so anyway, please keep sending those. Senda, what's the other thing that people can do with our social media tags? Well, you can send us your table selfies. So if, for example, you were just at a convention like Breakout, I hope that you took pictures of yourself playing those cool games with those cool people so that you can post them on Twitter. I mean, you can post them other places too, but I'll really only find them on Twitter and hashtag them table selfie so that I can swing by and like them because that's just a thing that I love seeing. Like we both love seeing, right? Indeed. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Mistrector Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons of the campaign get all sorts of goodies. You get access to our bonus outtakes from this show, the after show from Misdirected Mark. You get access to our Slack room for life and other fine things that we sometimes uh, just drop upon our patrons like games and other cool stuff like that. Uh, in addition, we like to give shout outs to our patrons. Uh, tonight, we shout out to all our patrons who support us. Thank you all for uh, your continued patronage. You make all of this possible each week. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Say, Senda, what are you planning to run at Origins? Just turning point. All the turning point. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. There we go. Clicky. Okay. We're online. We are online. If by any chance that this episode sounds like we're happy, then we are completely acting. So <laughs> leave that for listeners. Yep, oh, and you're frozen again. Damn it. Bloop. Oh, there's a reason why we don't record shows the day after a con. There really, really, really is. So I got back into town at 11.30 last night. And you can hear my voice is still shot. Mm. Or I'm getting the con crud, one or the other. Bloop. This is what con drop sounds like. Yeah, this is exactly what con drop sounds like. Despite how much fun I had at Breakout. I have zero energy. Total apathy. And all I want to do is sleep. Couldn't even get myself to buy anything, which is a bad sign. Yeah. Bloop. Uh, I'm guessing I froze again. Those making funny faces. Hmm. You are just like 
here and gone like every few seconds. Bloop. Well, I would say let's talk about breakup, but that's what we're going to talk about in the episode. So, like, we should just meow. Meow. Bloop. We didn't talk about <laughs> who was starting and we don't have a script. I got it. Okay. Bloop. Do, do. This is where the music for the episode goes. You're looking at me. You froze. Did I? Okay. Show me what you got. 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 Oh boy. That was a rough episode. We sound a little rough around the edges. <laughs> Google's awful tonight. It's really not not helping. Okay. It's, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I only heard about half of your answers. I'm sorry. You 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 sounded from my perspective like you were reasonably on top of it. The funny thing from my direction is that um, your audio is about 20 seconds out of sync with your video. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm not sure what's going on uh, internet wise, but. Yeah, you. Um, I would hear you start talking, then you would freeze up, then it would speed up, then it would, um, and then it w- I would miss everything in the middle and just get the last uh, syllable. Right. Well, it's you sounded pretty knowledgeable when you started talking, so I think it'll be okay. But should we stop recording? Uh, yeah, we should stop recording. Because I have to edit lots. And there's not going to be okay. a lot of funny bits. That's just the way it is. There is not going to be funny bits. This is Condrop episode. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.